now Wayne Bruce talks to Shane Solomon, who's the CEO of the Hong Kong Hospital Authority. Um, could I start by asking where you see the healthcare industry heading over the next five years? Well, I think the, the healthcare industry doesn't have revolution, it has evolution. So the things we're seeing now, I think, will be the things in five years. But, you know, when I think of it, you know, I first of all think of um, where we're going with electronic um, health records. And I think uh, you know, that's transforming the way services are delivered. And we in Hong Kong have that already. So we have some sense of, of the level of change that's involved. Um, I think the second um, sort of trend, I guess, is more towards open, the open disclosure um, movement and what that means for um, systems in terms of reflecting on safety and um, showing our worst parts to the public and uh, you know, how we can manage the public expectation that we are not perfect. So I think open disclosure and the safety movement are the, is the second. The third, um, you know, way the the industries, I think an issue the industry is struggling with is care of the old, old. Um, it's really people, um, 85 plus multi-system failures, more and more of our hospitals are being occupied by you know, really people where, where we have to ask ourselves what's the value we add to their lives in the last part and, uh, and I think we're struggling with that, we're, we're almost not confronting it and um, I think as hospitals become fuller and fuller with people living longer and we're more successful at pe- keeping people alive to late, late age, then we'll start to question what it is that we're doing and whether it adds value to mm. people's quality of life. Mm. And um, do you see those things you just mentioned, are they the sort of major issues facing healthcare in Hong Kong, do you think, or are there other factors? Yeah, I mean, um, Hong Kong's not, not that much different to the rest of the world. Maybe I've been here too long and it looks all the same, but, um, but it's you know, confronting the ageing population Technology, all the you know, normal things that we think about. Um, perhaps the the additional things here are we are moving from having uh, an electronic patient record, which covers all of our system, to moving that into the private sector, and so that presents challenges around privacy, challenges around collaboration between public and private and trust. Perhaps Hong Kong is also um, more than anything challenged by the idea that the hospital authority is not perfect and that we make mistakes and. So this is probably not a tolerant community for mistakes. And uh, so that's our challenge here, is how to try and educate the community that, that we're, not, we're trying to improve, but we're not perfect. And uh, open disclosure is a core part of the strategy that we've embarked on the last few years to try and, you know, as a, as a, as a tool for uh, learning, um, bring things out in the open, understand why a mistake happens, spread it to the rest of the system. Um, just a final thing that I think perhaps is different is that we... Uh, part of China and um, we're on the doorstep of mainland China and we've got two very different systems. Um, one is you know, really poor um, and not much of a welfare state including not much of a health system at the moment. I mean the Chinese are trying to improve it. So there is a trend towards mainland China people trying to get citizenship in Hong Kong and the clever way they're doing it is, to, uh, is for mothers to come over and give birth here and so their baby is a, China, is a Hong Kong citizen and as a Hong Kong citizen they're entitled to all the benefits, the welfare benefits, health, housing, education, um, social welfare that uh, they, they don't get in, Hong, in mainland China. So this will create some pressure on our system um, and uh, I guess another aspect is mainland China is also trying to reform their system 
they're coming to Hong Kong ministers, vice ministers, very regularly to look at our system and they see um, our system as something they want to aspire to. So more and more they're picking up bits and pieces of it and and they want our staff to go over and help them implement it. (laughs) So that's a challenge for us because we have very skilled administrators and who know exactly how to run a modern um, you know, health system, so things like drug formulary, setting up um, structures, integrated hospital network structures like this, mainland Chinese, uh, you know, lo- looking for to us to help them, yeah. which when we're still just trying to run a system here is a challenge. And coming from Australia prior to this uh, role, what are the sort of cultural differences that you've had to take into account to hold a leadership position in, in a different culture, in a different country? Yeah, it's hard. Um, there are lots of cultural differences and it's hard to say it without sounding like I'm criticising Hong Kong or Australia, but I'll have a go anyway. Um, a first cultural difference is that um, Hong Kong values working hard and you know, working long hours and you know, even overnight um, for administrators as well is regarded as a, a good thing. So the idea of work-life balance which you strike in Australia is a, is a strange concept here. Um, the negative of that is that it creates an intensity that often means that, you, that things get blown out of proportion or that we run around doing things that we don't need to do. A strength of us, perhaps another cultural difference, is that in Hong Kong um, people would tend to be very much follow what authority says. So when you're trying to create an organisation to empower leaders, it's another strange concept. Um, they'd prefer to be told what to do than to, for me to say, well, you know, let you figure it out. But, but it is an East and West culture here so in the hospital authority, so people have adapted to that. It also means that people in Australia, I think, are more questioning of a, of a, a boss's instruction. And so probably what I miss a bit is that when I say something should be done in a, you know, my last jobs in Australia, if people thought it was a bad idea, they'd tell me... <laughs> But here people would more likely go ahead and, and implement the bad idea than challenge. So some upfront thinking you know, is good in Australia. Um, but I have to say when you're trying to implement something, the authoritarian thing's pretty good mm. um, because you know, once you've made your decision, action happens you know, very quickly. Perhaps I, just should, I should just mention one other aspect about that's very important is that this is a culture that values face and harmony. So you don't... Um, as we would say in Australia, take the piss. Um, you don't, you don't um, have those sort of jokes that are um, self-deprecating, or um, and you know because I think they're taken seriously. And harmony means that um, you know you, you keep the peace. And um, so in Australia, you know, we would tend to challenge, um, and uh, you know don't mind a stoutship occasionally. Here, it's very difficult when you're having a you know trying to create an environment where people can openly challenge and talk. Given your comment about relative absence of people questioning what you say, have you been able to sort of create some way that that that, that does happen? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a very different... In my top management team, it's a very different environment than three years ago. And um, I'm not quite sure how it's happened, <laughs> um, but you know, I think part of it is that as the leader, you have to, um, you have to realise your dependencies... And when people raise issues, um, you know, that time they take the courage to poke their head up and say, I disagree, then you have to respond very positively to that. And I, and I guess that's what I've tried to do. 
So now we have our, every Wednesday morning we have our directors meeting it's called with all the cluster chief executives and head office people and now it's a very lively debate and uh, so almost as a leader you have to deliberately step back a bit and see your role as the integrator um, but you know when you're coming from another country it's easy to be dependent mm. <laughs> and so if you can approach it that way then I think that's helped. Mm. Um, I'm not saying it's mm. transformed totally and the middle management probably would still not challenge me Fortunately, the young doctors do. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you talked earlier about uh, mainland China coming and, and, and seeking to take some of your good people, which leads me to the question, what are the key issues facing the hospital authority in attracting and retaining key talent? Um, I mean, for us, it's very different to Australia and, and um, uh, UK, perhaps, which are our closest systems. The reason is we're one, we're one authority in one country <laughs> and so um, people more than anything fear, fear leaving, um, it's not a mobile um, workforce. Uh, the big, you know, we're the only game in town <laughs> when it all boils down to it. So the bigger challenge is how to invigorate talent, how to keep people thinking and you know, innovating and uh, you know, people here don't get sacked easily, um, uh, so that's the challenge. And so, um, for me, what I'm trying to do at the moment um, is try and encourage rotation. Because in Australia, UK, UK people get sacked all the time. In Australia, maybe they do, but there's a natural uh, marketplace operating. In Hong Kong, there's not not that side. We try and create the market internally. So I've rotated the hospital chief executives. Uh, most of whom had been in their jobs for 10 to 15 years without moving. That's one way of trying to get them invigorated, but that was a major challenge. Mm, mm. Um, and what competencies do you think are essential for today's uh, uh, leaders in health? And I'll break that up into two categories, Shane, one being your sort of mainstream healthcare executive or administrator, and the second one being people that are more in uh, clinical or academic leadership roles in healthcare. I think um, for those that are in executive positions that, I mean, I'd say first of all, some resilience and a thick skin helps in the public sector because you are subject to a lot of, you know, a lot of scrutiny, um, both from within government and from the media. Um, I would say that for both, um, the critical thing is to be able to listen and not believe you're you know the super person and um, so you have to park your ego and stick it in your back pocket pretty regularly and realize that um, that you need other people and I think when people go into clinical leadership positions the good ones don't suddenly believe they know everything technically about their world they still realize they have to um, you know they have to draw on those around them and in doing that you know two things happen one is that you make a better decision um, because you are, you know, you are getting the best brains on a problem, um, and the second is you get buy-in, you know, and, and that's the key in healthcare reform. It's always about change management. It's always engagement. Uh, you can't impose things in this you know, world of independent thinkers. You've got to engage them. So I think that would be the the most important thing is to you know, listen. You have to lead, and I'll just say something about the leadership side of it is that at the end of listening, you have to make a decision and you have to call the direction and. Um, and the others expect that of you. Um, and leadership in public health care is quite difficult because it's a minefield. And you, 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 if you've consulted properly, you know that 
any direction will have its opponents and you have to have the strength of your convictions to say well this is you know, I've heard everybody and this is the way we're going in Hong Kong that's good because um, people will ultimately go the way you go in Australia they'll still grumble probably <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, Shane you come from Melbourne originally mm. and uh, work-wise at least and uh, as do I uh, which is known as the city of four seasons in one day so uh, as a closing note how do you find the weather in Hong Kong? Um, one season in four months <laughs> <laughs> uh, the weather in Hong Kong it's hot and um, um, I think uh, I think the hardest thing uh, about working in Hong Kong is really the climate and it's not so much the weather I mean um, it's it's actually an, an environment that if you want to know about um, um, you know the impact of climate change and global warming and and um, you know, emission control come to Hong Kong, where you know over in um, China, everyone is benefit mainly China and Pearl Delta. Everyone is benefiting from cheap products, and the outcome of those cheap products is a lot of um, pollution that comes over into Hong Kong. Um, so you know, I think um, I think it's one of those environments where you've got to learn <laughs> how to cope. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Thanks very much for your time today. Okay, no problem. Mm-hmm.